Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On this episode of Mike's Search for Meaning, my guest is Nick Shrewsbury. Nick brings all of his traditional and non-traditional skills to facilitation, including his work as a certified coach, court mediator, tantric teacher, which we discussed in this conversation, yoga teacher, and wolf caretaker at Mission Wolf. He helps big-hearted folks to create both intimacy and inner freedom through authenticity and honesty in their life. And this is part one of a two-part conversation with Nick. In this conversation, I had the pleasure of interviewing Nick. In part two, I had the pleasure of being interviewed. So in this one, we focus on the gifts, the true gifts of being a highly sensitive person. And in particular, we focus on being a highly sensitive male and how Nick and I both really struggled to come to terms with that as we developed. And, and even in some ways, at least I'll speak for myself, it continues to be something that is an area for development for me. How can I show up as my full self in any given moment? And we unpack the gifts and how our culture doesn't really, <laughs> this is an understatement, our culture doesn't really reward men who are emotional, in touch with their feelings, sensitive, caretaker energy. And it comes at a significant cost. If that, if you identify as that type of person or deep down that feels true to you, and you've been white knuckling it, trying to be someone else, that just comes at a significant, significant energetic cost. We also dive into the importance of feeling those uncomfortable feelings like sorrow, grief, and sadness, and the aliveness that can emerge if we allow ourselves to feel that. In particular, Nick discusses how working with somatic practitioners and doing somatic experiencing, which we dive into in the conversation, can be really powerful tools to unlock things that get stuck in our body. Other animals that are not humans, there's a reason that they, they can be attacked by other animals and go through really traumatic experiences, and it doesn't get stuck in their body. But because of our intellectualizing and trying to figure life out in our head, it can happen for humans. We have temperaments that just get stuck in our body for really long periods of time. And in just a pretty short amount of time in this conversation, Nick covers all of that ground and a little bit more. I really loved part one of this conversation. I have a great feeling that you will too. And we have some good resources for you to chew on if you so choose. With all of that said, take a deep breath. <sighs> Settle in and enjoy what Nick has for us today. All right, Nick, great to be with you, my friend. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah. So today, I want to just start with you by, you know, you and I initially connected over being empaths. And, and we've 
kind of loosely agreed that everyone is an empath, but yet we identify strongly with it. So what does it mean yeah. to you in your terms to be an empath or to be empathetic? Yeah, it's a good place to start. I have this push-pull with the word empath. There are times that I think it's useful and there are times that I think it's it's vague as I'll get out and not that useful. <laughs> so yeah, we can, we can hone it a little bit. And honestly, my definition of it is pretty loose kind of at this point, because I think when we use the word empath, what I think words that are commonly associated with that are like sensitive, being emotional or moody, I think is, is what it commonly gets associated with it. Being introverted, being shy maybe, and also like being overly sensitive to, yeah, to what other people are experiencing. It is like the negative connotations that oftentimes come around it. And I think part of me actually feels like everybody's kind of an empath. <laughs> I think to some degree you're, you're aware of it or you aren't. Like I think every, we are all social beings. We all have deep emotions. And I think like, a, you know, so I, I think there's a, there's a truth to that. And at the same time, I think there are people who, based on their history, based on their experience, perhaps even based on their biology, have developed a skill set for being really aware of what other people are experiencing, what their emotions may be. And also maybe by inclination or by necessity, they start to realize that they need to become more aware of their own emotions, what they are feeling and how they can perhaps heal or develop better strategies for relating to themselves. So I think there's like, a, there's like an internal external piece to this. Yeah. Maybe I'll just leave it there. Yeah. 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 There's, so there's a million threads that we could probably pull on there, but I'm interested to, to check in with you on how that showed up with you as you were growing up. Like it seems like one of the things you pointed to is that it might be a, a strategy that emerges because of your role in your family, or like you, you might have been more acutely aware of certain things based on your environment, or you might just have a predisposition to it. And if you reflect on when you were a little bit younger, were, were both of those, do you think it was a combination of both of those things? And like, how, how did you know when you were younger, if you knew at all, that you were someone who was maybe taking in the environment more strongly than another person might be. Yeah, totally. I think the, the first thing I want to maybe put out there that I'm realizing what I just said, I feel like I said a lot of negative connotations about what empath may mean. And I also, I want to say like there, for those who have developed a skill set of being very aware of the emotion, the mood in the room around them, that can totally be a superpower I think the reason that often those negative connotations get put on empaths is because that's a, it's a scary gift to hold because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're aware of everything around you all the time yeah. and that can be really exhausting. It can be scary. It can feel like you need to fix or, or like navigate in a like way more work oriented way to the world. And so I think oftentimes empaths end up feeling really exhausted, you know? And, but that, that is totally a superpower too. And I think it's a double-edged sword when people can learn to channel it, then it can become this gift where they, you can learn to resource yourself so that you feel rested, you feel energized, and you also can use that skill set not in a codependent way of like, I'm going to use this skill so that other people feel good. So they stay around me or, or something like that. You know, it's like, instead it's like, I can 
I can facilitate incredible healing in the world when I choose to. Mm. And I can, and I also empaths have a deep capacity for connection because mm. there's so much awareness and so much, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, awareness. There's mm. such a capacity for connection that can create really magical intimacy. Yeah. So yeah. And I just wanted to note that. So you were asking about childhood, right? Yes. And it, the question was like, how did I know or, or how did it show up for me? This, this experience? Yeah. And, right? and was, and the, the other part of the question is, was it something that you were tuned into and that you think was naturally there or was it a strategy that you use based on your environment or both? Yeah, that's a good question. In, in looking at it for myself, it's definitely both. Mm-hmm. They're definitely, <laughs> you know, were, were emotions that were flung around really haphazardly in, in my family. You know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of love in the family. There also was like, you know, stuff thrown around really, really easily anger being one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think I learned as a young child to be really aware of what other people in my family were experiencing or what their emotions were so that I could navigate and keep myself safe. And when I use the word safe, I use it for like a certain quality of safety. I mean, like emotional safety where I feel calm, I feel resourced and and I feel like I can get the love that it is that I want. So I think there definitely was a hundred percent. There was, yeah, there was that in the environment that was encouraging me to develop this, this ability to just be aware of what other people are feeling, which I do believe that all people can develop. And there are also people who are listening to this. I think that you can check out as a uh, highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. There's if men are listening specifically, there's a book called the highly sensitive man. And when I, I, people told me to check out this book for literally a decade. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the lamest shit ever. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> and I, I think like, because I, I don't know, people have been telling me that I was sensitive for a long, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, I had this resistance to it. Right. Yeah. But in, in checking it out, ultimately, it's actually really powerful and it's, it's very empowering. So I, I might just, I could just dive into that a little bit right here. It's, it's actually, it's pretty useful for the, the biology piece. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, so the biology, so the highly sensitive, high, like high sensitivity is like the theory behind it is that there is a spectrum of sensitivity that all like, like mammals you could even say are on and like in any, like if we're looking at like a herd of animals, some are going to be more sensitive and cautious and some are going to be more like water off a duck's back, bold. I'll walk into like an unknown territory where there might be a tiger. I'll just wander right in. It's probably fine. And sometimes they'll be very successful. Those, bold, those bold ones They're bold, maybe isn't the right word, but just like carefree. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're going to be less successful and they're going to get eaten. And, and in that case, the ones who are sensitive and like a little bit more cautious are the ones that are more successful because they didn't get eaten. So there's this spectrum and like in a herd, you, you need both spectrums. And so the idea behind high sensitivity is some people are more on the spectrum of being sensitive. And, and like this theory says, you know, based on some research is like 30% of people, men and women, both. <clears throat> and so the idea behind it is like these sensitive people are just like 
they are way, 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 way more tuned in and just like hyper aware of their environment. And like the, the, like, you know, shadow side of this is, is, can become very vigilant, very guarded and just like looking for danger all the time. But key things to know about this is like highly sensitive people are like, they're like, or if you're looking at flowers, they're like orchids, they're really sensitive, but if they're given the right environments, they like, they pop out these incredible flowers, Mm. uh, that are just breathtaking. So a couple, I am not going to remember all these, but a couple of like the key characteristics of high sensitivity is like one is depth of processing. Mm -hmm. So you just like, you just process like 10 levels deep where other people might like, you know, (laughs) other people might hear a comment and just be like, Oh, it was a comment, you know, from another person, you know, move on a highly sensitive person might be like, okay, if they meant this or they meant that, or they meant this, you know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this chess game of with myself of all the possible outcomes of this one comment. Another characteristic is overstimulation. Yes. So really easy for, for these people to, they're taking in so much information from their environment at all times. They're just like, they're just doing like a hyper download of everything that's around them really easy for them to get over what they say overstimulated, which is like, I have taken in too much information. I need to go into my dark room (laughs) Uh and just like rest. So there's a greater need for rest for these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because they are taking in so much at all times. And a characteristic of that is that these people in the right environments can learn incredible amounts really fast. They can grow like nothing else in the right environment or you know, in our, in an environment where they feel a bit threatened, where, you know, like the lighting is off, even like all these different like, yeah. pieces, they can, they can wither more easily too. So it's kind of like, it's a double-edged sword. And the last one is, is environmental stimuli. So like really sensitive to odd smells, odd sounds, odd lighting, things in the environment that just like, cause they're just so aware of all these pieces. It's just like a little bit of like offness. They're just like, oh, that's, that really messes with my inner vibe. So those are some pieces, but I just wanted to share that because I, I definitely, I, after reading that, um, I definitely, I was like, oh fuck that a lot of that is really true for me uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. actually is really useful. I can use it to know like, oh, it's time for me to rest and take some time. And also I can create environments where I can learn like a beast. So, uh, I definitely think that was going on for me too. And I think that predisposed me to just be more influenced by emotions in the family system that other people might've just brushed off more easily. I was just really, you know, I could get blown around by those winds so easily. And it's definitely been a lifelong journey to learn how to disentangle from that so that I'm not affected as so by other people. And I'm also not doing all this work to try to fix them or like help them feel good all the time. Mm. So that was a lot of words, but yeah. Well, thank you for all of them. My personal version of I, I've never read The Highly Sensitive Man, but the first there was a book, I'm sure you've read it, or at least have heard of it, Quiet by Susan Cain. Yeah, that that's like came, the power of introverts, something yes, like that. The power yeah, of introverts cool. in a world that can't stop talking. That book came on my radar a while ago, like it had to have been years ago. And it took me a while to actually say, you know what, I'm going to buy this book because mm-hmm. I was experiencing that resistance that you were talking about as well. I had the same reaction. It was like, fuck that. <laughs> why would I want to read a book about being quiet? That's, it's something that I was not acknowledging in myself, even though it was really obvious that it was something that was there. And 
of all the things that you were speaking about just now that they all resonated with me, I put a bookmark immediately in when you said I had this resistance and I, and I didn't want to look into it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious how that showed up for you. Like what were, what were some strategies that you used to not acknowledge that or ways of being that you like, what were some ways that you were showing up to your interactions or to your professional life, socially and anything at all that you were like, I, I don't want to acknowledge I'm this like sensitive person or empath, whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, I love, that's such a good question, Mike. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I can definitely say, I mean, there's this energy of like, (laughs) how is it that I want to share this? So I think as an, as an empath and particularly as a man or a masculine identified person who feels lots of things, Mm -hmm. there's this enculturation that I was given. That's like, don't feel your feelings and don't show them to anybody. (laughs) you know while at the same time i'm like experiencing raging emotions (laughs) so much and i'm just like i'm just like tamping them down right and like that's a really big part of my own healing journey right now and it's very relevant it's like how can i be picking apart and disentangling in in the most loving way this kind of like barrier that i've built to so much of my lived experience you know because a lot of my lived experience I, i have come to notice is quite flat because I mute so much of my emotional experience. And there's right, like this is a continuous journey. Like I've come up against this before and found great realizations. And like, it just keeps going deeper. It keeps going deeper. And I keep finding new, new pieces. And I'm like, oh, okay, here's this, here's this barrier. But I think as men, we are definitely given this energy of nobody cares about your inner world. We just want to know about your rage or your satisfaction, you know, like (laughs) either you're breaking through or you've broken through everything else is irrelevant. Uh (laughs) And I definitely, you know, so I think that there was a big part of that energy when I was like, I was like, Oh, I don't want to learn about (laughs) being sensitive, especially. I mean, like I was open to the idea of like emotion, but I think particularly the idea of sensitivity I was like, I was like, no, I'm strong, you know, like, and I think I had this idea of sensitivity as actually, this is really, I'm really, we're talking about this. I had this idea of sensitivity as weakness or like, uh, being just being blown around by the winds of life, which was my lived childhood experience. You know, I was like, if you're sensitive, then you you just get screwed. And that is so not true. Mm-hmm. because a curiosity that I have right now is how can I be the most sensitive? How can I be sensitive to the wind on my skin? And how can I be sensitive to the joy in my heart? And how can I be sensitive to the light in a partner's eyes? You know, like how can I live this life sensitized to the magic that is all around me and that sensitivity is, it is magic and it is living a full life. Mm. Yeah. But I definitely resisted for a while. <laughs> Did I answer your question? Yeah. It sounds like it's something that 
maybe it's the resistance isn't quite what it used to be, but it's, it sounds like it's still there to some extent. I, I, I can maybe I'm projecting, but it certainly is for me. And the, uh, there's there's two different you could take this either way, because I'm, I'm curious about two things. Yeah. One was you mentioned muting your feelings or kind of like leveling yourself off into in this kind of I would relate to it in the, almost a robotic way. Like, I yeah, think sure. As men were conditioned to like, that's that's the way to be. We, there mm -hmm. isn't there isn't much that's going on below the neck. It's it's all it's all up here. We can mm -hmm. we can figure anything out. It's all anything's yeah. a problem that can be solved. So one one direction that I'd be interested to hear from or to hear from you about is what did it look like to mute things and what were the, hmm. the costs of doing that or the other which is almost the exact opposite is what's been what's become available to you as you've opened your heart to all of these different things and and now flipped the script a little bit to look at your sensitivity instead of something to be avoided at all costs as perhaps your top gift to to your experience as a person and and in your work in your work and your relationships etc yeah can you say the question one more time yeah the second part right i whichever either one whichever feels most i'll go for brevity the first question was what were some ways that you muted yourself so that you wouldn't acknowledge your sensitivity and and the second was what's yeah. become available to you as you opened your heart all the way up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk, we'll talk about muting. It's a good first place. It's a good question. Yeah. So some of the ways that I muted myself, uh, I think one of them is like <clears throat> really devaluing my own experience and just being hyper-focused on what other people are feeling. <laughs> Um, and what they might be thinking about me, you know, there was definitely, there was a, definitely a self-worth piece in there too, of like, if I'm, you know, super aware of what other people are feeling, maybe I can anticipate what they might do, what they might need. And then I can kind of step in, in a way that <laughs> makes it all good. Uh, and my needs don't really matter in this equation, <laughs> which set me up for a lot of really painful relationship <laughs> lessons <laughs> yes. romantically for sure. Um, and in all, all spheres. So being really tuned into other people in a way that was disconnecting for myself, definitely one. I think also, I think also because there was this pressure to like really just not feel my emotions, which like just swim, that just swims in the waters of our culture. It's like, just keep moving on, you know, <laughs> produce the good thing that you're here to produce and, you know, just do, and that's going to make everything good. And I, I do believe in action. I think that's really important, but you know, there's a kind of disconnect there when you're just like acting without meaning or connection. So I think there was a real, like in the pressure to not feel, there was also like a real judgment of my own feelings. I was like, these aren't good really. You know, I need to, I need to put these away, Yeah. <laughs> which really was, I mean, if there's anything that can hit somebody's confidence, it's that decision, which, which we make as children very intelligently oftentimes, because sometimes we need to do that to, to make it through. Yep. 
Um, it's a way to keep ourselves safe. But then once we grow up, that strategy is like armor that like is a cage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a protection that becomes like all of a sudden, you know, we only live within like six square inches of space. So, so disentangling that becomes really important. So, and, and that's something that can hit confidence so intensely because you are saying to yourself, my own experience doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I need to just tuck that away. And I need to put on a mask of somebody who is whatever successful in whatever form that may appeal to you. Mm-hmm. And that process is, uh, yeah. I mean, if I were to flip the script, which is really what I do hundred percent, almost exclusively as a coach is like, how can you step into being who you truly are Yeah, in your connection? And if there's anything that increases confidence in the fucking bones, it is leaning into being who you are with other people and inviting them in. Um, cause you are saying to yourself, I am beautiful and I matter. And this is what I'm creating. This is the magic. Do you want to join me people of this world? Yeah. So, so ways that I muted were over-focusing on other people's feelings, devaluing my own experience. And I think also once, once I did that, it was like, then I just start like looking for like entertainment rather than fulfillment. So it's like, you know, Netflix, sugar, pornography, like all this shit, (laughs) you know, it's just like, okay, here, let me, you know, let me find something that will entertain me for 10 minutes. And then that passes. And then I'm like, okay, what's the next thing to entertain me for 10 minutes, which is something I'm definitely still untangling. It's like, you know, that goes, that, that kind of energy runs deep and but there, it's so much better <laughs> to be uh, in connection with my own experience because I just, I feel the joy of life rather than like chasing the joy of life and being like, I want to be happy one day. Let me grab all these things that might make me happy. Instead, it's like coming to this place of um, I'm enough. And there's a lot of joy in that. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Were there moments or was there a a moment that comes to mind where you you reached a point where it was like i i have to make a shift here like this whatever i'm doing right now in my life it's not working like these these external ways that i'm hiding or trying to block it out or mute Mm. like it's just not working anymore and it's time for me to make a shift like were there any paradigmatic paradigmatic moments in your life where you were like this, okay, this is a a turning point. Like I, I can't carry on like this anymore. Something's got to change. Yeah. It's a intriguing question. Certainly there were, um, (laughs) I'm sure there will continue to be, (laughs) um, hopefully (laughs) no, definitely. Yes. There, there certainly were. Yeah. So I guess a couple that are, most relevant here. Yeah. I mean, so when I was in high school, I was pretty, you know, I was, I was already feeling pretty burnt out from this way of operating. And I went and like, I traveled to visit my aunt who is like a yoga teacher, energy healer, very magical woman. And I was just like, you know, just like, I'm just going to learn. Like, I can't, I was just, I was, I didn't, I don't know if I even had the words for it at that time. I was just like, I think she just offered. And I was like, yeah, I will come and I, I will, you know, anything that can support this, I will do. 
and she did energy work on me. And I mean, like I say energy work, like what it would look like to somebody just like observing is like, she would just have her hands on my chest and I would just be sobbing, just Mm -hmm. sobbing for like long periods of time, a lot of release of grief because that experience of alienating from myself and all like the disruptions it created in connection for me, especially, I mean, it was especially relevant for me with women is just like, that is something like that connection, like being a lover is very, was like an, the energy of that is really lives in my core. And I knew that from a young age and I did not know how to channel it, did not know how to channel it. And I just, I felt so isolated you know, and like, I would just have these experiences with women that I was deeply attracted to and would have loved to create something with. And I would go up to them and I just like, I would just stumble over my words. Like I would just like, I would just like word salad at them. <laughs> and then I would just, I, I would try to run away as fast as I could, you know, in, in all the ways that, that would like, oh God, I was such a, such a beautiful little unit. And I was, you know, I was really, I was like, uh, and every time I was like, oh my God, I know that I can do this, but I'm not, it's not happening. Like, why can't I make this happen? And there was a lot of, there was a lot of grief in that. And so like a big part of that experience with my aunt was just like this really big release of grief, which is like, you know, we can just bookmark that like grief work is really powerful for men because we're really taught and encouraged to avoid a lot of emotions. But one of them is a big one is sadness. Mm -hmm. And sadness is one of the emotions that holds the key to our fullest expression and to our fullest joy. Joy and sorrow are hundred percent intertwined and allowing sorrow. It's like a cleansing rain to just move and finding the support where that can happen creates the possibility for like so much more stepping into all of who you are. Um, so that was one paradigmatic shift was that experience with my aunt. Another that is, there are two others that are coming to mind that both feel like they have interesting lessons. So yeah, maybe I'll share them. Cool. Fair away. Yeah. The other, another is, um, I did this, uh, this tantric teacher training, um, through this school called, it's called the source school of tantra yoga. And that was a paradigmatic shift in my ability to feel confident in myself and in my ability to connect specifically with women, but like to just to hold this space of like, I have magic here in my fingertips, you know, and in my heart and, and I am a sensitive human being. And that is a fucking raging superpower that allows me to hold incredible spaces for people and to be filled with goodness, really. Um, and I also, I think I learned how to channel my enthusiasm. There's like, I have this enthusiasm for life. And before I think I felt awkward about that. I was like, I don't know, maybe that's too much for people, but like, you know, and like I, that I, I love connection and I want to create it. Like, don't you want to come create it with me? Um, and learning how to share that in a way that's very accessible and like exciting and loving and also being totally okay. If people say no, and the way that that happened was like, so Tantra, there's a, there's a, that's a whole topic in itself, which maybe is a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, but for now in this workshop was like, 
it's and it's neo tantra specifically that's probably more than we need to get into but um this experience in itself for me was an experience of just like being around a lot of really empowered women who are joyful in their sexuality and their desire and just being able to just like place my hand on people's hearts and like make invitations and like dance in all all different ways so it's a really direct experience of connection that just allowed me to to see and remember like oh i'm actually i'm actually pretty good <laughs> i don't need to work so hard yeah. um i don't need to do so much like who i am is pretty great yeah maybe i'll just leave it there for now those are yeah. those are some yeah so so as we come towards a closing on the first iteration of this conversation nick i would i would love to close out with maybe where you would point i'm imagining there are going to be multiple listeners who are listening to this connecting with the fact that yeah like even if they don't identify exactly with what you're saying there's this stepping into being fully you as this this wonderful invitation of like what whatever it is that any of us are hiding from is probably the gift that's going to unlock full aliveness for us and it doesn't have to be sensitivity it could be anything but that said it's probably gonna in from the frame of this conversation it's probably gonna be someone who's sensitive or just feels a lot and is looking to unlock that where would you point that person in terms of maybe a, a book a, a resource uh, a class course coach and any of the above yeah that's a great question there's three ways that my mind goes initially the first one is i don't think that the first one is if grief work is something that you know you human listener you're like oh, i've never really experienced that you know like that's intriguing check it out <laughs> it's pretty juicy yeah so grief work and, and like finding ways to release sorrow that may live in your system um and there are a lot of different resources for doing that i would particularly point people towards some form of somatic therapy because grief really lives in the body um and we can do a lot of work around you know, thinking about it, intellectualizing about it, looking at problems that doesn't actually help to shift it. And so somatic therapy is a way of working with the body. Um, and somatic experiencing is one particular form of this that I think is pretty cool, which is based on how animals release stress, right? So like animals, there's a book called zebras don't get ulcers. It's like, how do animals like get attacked by a tiger and then not live in PTSD for the rest of their life? Mm -hmm. You know, they have biological ways of releasing that energy that, that, so it doesn't get stuck and jangly in their system. But this is also true with sadness. You know, it can get stuck in the system. We just like, we just push it down and then it just like, it just stays there and it festers. Mm -hmm. So somatic experiencing uses the same modalities that animals use to release that stress. It's like releasing the pressure valve, right? Like we have, we create this pressure cooker inside our system and then we just walk around and we're like, it's I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. I'm all, I'm good. <laughs> While we're like gritting our teeth, like trying to keep the lid on. Yeah. So if any of that is like resonates at all for you, just check out somatic experiencing. May have a list of practitioners. You can, you can see some cool people. If you are in a zone where you're like, I want to, I'm ready to create a shift in my life. I am ready to create a relationship where I can be on fire with who I am 
where I don't hold back my voice because I'm afraid to rock the boat, where I want to step back from trying to fix other people all the time. I don't want to do so much emotional labor where I don't want my emotional, my romantic relationships to feel more exhaust, more, <laughs> more energizing over the long term than exhausting. You know, I want to feel like I have a sense of self and connection. Then coaching can be a juicy pathway for that. And I know Mike, we both create support for people in that way. So I'd say connect with us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're like in that, you're like, I want to create, I want to be all of who I am. I want to shift these patterns where I'm like getting caught up in holding back who I am so that I can try to get something that I think I want. It's like really different experience to just be in line with your truth. So much more powerful for creating intimacy and fulfilling connection. And also so much more powerful for doing way less work. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's a lot more ease in that. Okay. So those are two. And I think there was a third one. Yeah. I'll just say, I'll just say body work, you know, getting like massage energy work. Those things can be powerful. It's another way to get at working with the body rather than through the mind. Yeah. Those are some things. Awesome, Nick. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed round one and I want to leave just a little teaser. We've got like a minute or two left. Where, where would you, what would be exciting for you to explore in our next conversation? Yeah, I, I love it. Um, and I really appreciate how you facilitated this space. It's really masterful in the way you ask your questions. Thanks, man. Yeah. The, I think the thing that I'm curious to explore is, I mean, one, I kind of want to interview you. So okay. that's one. <laughs> and two, I think something around relationship conflict, how can we be in conflict with other people in a way that actually increases connection? And honestly, how can male empaths stop fucking white knighting so hard to make other people feel good with all our awareness while like tamping down all of our experience? Yeah. Uh, it's really common in the clients I see. And so like, I, let's talk about that. Yeah. How can we shift it? Awesome. Well, I'm a, I'm a full body. Yes. To both of those. I would love you can interview me and we can record that as a, a podcast episode for me. And cool. I would love to explore a conflict in relationships and how we can stop white knighting and trying to fix everyone except for ourselves. So uh, Nick, it, it's been an absolute pleasure for, for this round. And uh, I really appreciate you, man. I, I appreciate the way that you show up. We've only had a couple of conversations, but I always leave feeling energized and seen and tapped into possibility and potential. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Thank you. I, I feel it and I receive it. Yeah. And uh, it's been a joy to be in this space. Thank you. Thanks for drawing all these things out in such a beautiful way. Yeah. You're very welcome. And to the listeners, and until next time, I look forward to connecting with you again. Take care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.